Welcome to Beach Athletics All Access, where you get an inside look at the great coaches, student athletes, alumni, and supporters that make Long Beach State Athletics so special. I'm your host, Rob Clark, Senior Associate Athletic Director for External Relations. Welcome to Beach All Access Podcast, an inside look at Long Beach State sports and the great people around our program. Today we are joined by our Hall of Fame women's volleyball head coach, Brian Gimilaro. In his 32 years at Long Beach State, Coach Gimilaro's teams have won three national championships, appeared in eight Final Fours, 13 NCAA regionals, 27 NCAA tournament appearances, and he is inducted into the ABCA Hall of Fame in 2008. There is a legend among us, and I'm out of breath just, <laughs> just talking about all this, Coach. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So our, our purpose today is just to get to know you and understand your journey and your Long Beach State story. So let's, let's just jump off here. How did you develop your love of volleyball? Well, I've always been a sports person. I, I came from uh, the basketball, football, baseball world, and I've always been enamored with, even as a little kid, with uh, teams and teamwork. It, it sounds almost bizarre, but I, as a young man, a young boy, I'd watch games by myself and kind of analyze them in, in football and baseball, basketball. I, I was enamored with um, the possibilities of it. Uh, I think it was a coach's eye and I didn't know it. Hmm, incredible. <laughs> uh, you're a distinguished alumnus of Long Beach State as well, one of the highest honors that, that's recognizable here on campus. How did you end up coming to Long Beach State originally? <laughs> well, that's, I, I, that's funny you ask that. The uh, it's actually been written up in the past press telegram over the years in volleyball magazine. I was a kid that um, I didn't have a lot of money, but I certainly had ambition. So actually, uh, as a young, just out of high school and put some money together and got on the bus and came from uh, upstate New York to Southern California and by accident, um, because I ended up my first day in Belmont Shore and thought I was in heaven uh, and, uh, and actually got into Long Beach State at that day. And it was a long story, and I was really lucky, and I was uh, accepted at another school in Southern California that my mom still thinks I graduated from. But, the, uh, but I, uh, uh, you know, I just th- ended up thinking this is a great place. And then I had no intention of coming back here and working. I had no intention of being a coach, but uh, ended up back here, and I'm very happy about that, and I'm really happy that I spent my majority of my professional career here. It's incredible. You get here, and the first day you, you get accepted. So clearly there was a, a recruiting gene in your body already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was pure luck and the help of some great people who were working on campus. And thank goodness there was no computers uh, so I got around the system a little bit. <laughs> now, how, you went through the, the process. You, you graduated from the institution. Um, mm-hmm. talk, talk to us about your experience as a student, and, and then we'll, we'll talk beyond there as well. Well, I thought that uh, Long Beach and Long Beach State was the hidden gem of, uh, of the country. Here I could live in a beach community, a really uh, comfortable community. I ended up living in Belmont Shore, and here I was – Going to a school, I felt that in I feel the same way today, that it was a really hands-on faculty. It was taught by faculty members. They really genuinely cared about 
uh, my learning. And so I engaged myself with as many faculty members as I could because I, I felt, and I tell players today, that there isn't much time in this world where you're going to sit with a professional and listen to them, an expert on that in their area. And, and they're going to give you all the information they have. And I think that's an incredible experience and rare. And so I took advantage of that right away. Now, you graduated, and how did you make this transition from being a student into becoming a coach? Well, well it, it, what happened was we, I had no intention of coaching. My intention was to be an educator. And I had a, a variety and vast, vast um, experience in different educational uh, venues, and, and it, was, it was great. Um, and then one day... Uh, I finally became a classroom teacher, and this was after several years, and I did a lot of things. I worked for a multicultural group through the Office of Civil Rights. I helped integrate a school. We wrote programs. We worked with gang kids. We were, in all aspects of education. But finally, uh, I ended up in a classroom, and my best friend became my beach partner, and we started playing beach volleyball together. And then he said, uh, let's start a volleyball team. You know, let's coach a girls volleyball team. And, and I said, okay. And then I realized what a unique educational opportunity it was. You could teach, you could be very involved with a small group of people and influence their lives. And that was really appealing to me as a teacher. I thought it was the best educational teaching job you could have. And so we started out and... And we got really lucky. We uh, we won uh, right away, and then we became our last two years. We won a state championship, became the number one team in the United States, and and then I and then through that I started a volleyball club that uh, won everything in their first group of years, and and then unbeknownst to me, uh, the AD at Long Beach State, uh, I didn't even know it. His daughter was in my volleyball club, and. One day he met with me and said, I'm making a change, and would you like to be considered for this change? And I said, okay, and that was uh, 1985, and I'd been an educator since 1970 or 71, and he said to me, um, would you consider it? And I said, sure. I came down on August 30th, interviewed, met the team on August, I mean, July 30th, I interviewed with him and the staff, the 31st, I was hired, met the team, and start practicing August 1st. So it was a two-day window to start <laughs> practice. <laughs> Not much notice, but. Yeah, and, and that was really, I really liked John Casser, who was the AD at that time, and really good for the program and the school. And, and then in, in four years, we were able to win a national championship. Now, to speak to that, that does, doesn't happen often and easily. And mm -hmm. so. As you and I have been discussing before, the process fascinates me, uh, especially with a coach of your caliber. You inherited a program that was struggling. How how did you create this perennial powerhouse that you've created here at Long Beach State? Well, I think that uh, I think that you just believe your job is to teach, and if you teach properly, you will win. So there was no like uh, master plan. You just close the doors to the gym and you start working in areas that you could, you knew would be successful. I was also lucky from uh, January of 83 through the Olympics to become the business manager of the women's Olympic team. 
And that really opened my eyes to a lot of great volleyball. So I was there as much as I could be and, and watch. So I, I had a lot of ideas working with high school and club and, and Olympians to see what would work. And I just, we closed the door and we went to work with the idea that if we did things better, harder, better than anyone else, we, we didn't even think about winning, that you would win. We just did, and, and we, we, we did win. And we weren't very good, but I inherited a pretty good group. I think Dixie Gramat, who was the coach before me, left me with a group that was on the verge of being pretty good. And even though they were really on the, kind of the bottom, I, th- I thought that um, uh, nationally we could, you know, we, we'd be fine. I, I didn't really think about it much. I just, let's go to work, and I was happy to have the team I did. Now, now it's one thing to win, and it's another thing to win sustainably. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the course of your career here, mm-hmm. we've won consistently. Uh, what does it take to consistently win? Once you've gotten there, you, you've, you've set a standard. Now, how do you sustain this? That's a, that's a really difficult thing. I think that's one of the reasons coaches always change. They move on. And the reason they move on is not because they're not winning. It's just that it's, it's almost impossible to sustain. There's always factors that work against you. Now, if you have a, um, you know, uh, you know, an endless budget with TV <laughs> revenue and, uh, and you have, um, uh, you're in the limelight in terms of national picture, especially with football, uh, in women's volleyball, almost all the top teams are top football schools. Um, so it makes it even more difficult uh, not being in that arena to continue to win. But I wanted to, I really wanted to a long time ago when we were number one, I wanted to tell people that um, why, why change or why leave? Why not make this your home? I, I, this community was always great to me and my family. Uh, I felt, um, even though we were a big city in some ways, I felt uh, like a member of a really neat and caring community, and that's how I was treated. So I wanted everybody to know that that that's what you want in life. You want your family to feel welcomed and treated well, and so I had it. So I wanted people to realize that you could have that at Long Beach and maybe as good, if not better, than anybody anywhere else. So I, uh, I wanted to stay. I stayed, and with that in mind, and with the impossibility of doing it, was the motivation to do it. And that's one of the incredible things about Long Beach, and, and there are many things that are great about Long Beach, but there is this incredible sense of community despite us being considered the L.A. market. Mm-hmm. Long Beach is Long Beach and, mm-hmm. and really supportive and, and incredible in and of its own right. I think that I mentioned it. I really think that it's not there yet, and I think that the that this community, you know, because of the rivers I call the rivers of the freeway, we're not L.A. We're not L.A. We're a unique, incredible market. My kids went to Long Beach uh, Poly High School, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, this this vast uh, multi-ethnic community in which we live is ahead of the rest of the country. Um, but the but the members of this community, although some are very vested in the community, the, everybody needs to be. The 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 businesses of this community need to be more behind the university. You cannot have you cannot have a great u- urban university without having a great city, and vice versa. You can't have a great city 
or urban, you can't be a great city without having a great university. And that collective needs to be stronger. That collective belief in each other and support within each other has to happen. And if that does grow, then this university will be, will be it, it already is uh, challenged by the number of kids who want to come here. But this needs to be more embraced overall by the community. We need to separate ourselves and realize we have something very, very special here, and it needs to be supported more. Everybody would benefit from that. Absolutely, and obviously having over 90,000 applications speaks to that. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't apply now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think you could have talked your way in, Coach. I really do. Uh, With with all that being said, we go back to the most national championships we've had from any sport in Long Beach State, three. It's incredible Mm -hmm. that we have three national championships here, 1989, 93, and 98. Would you share with us some of those memories from from each of those teams, uh, things that that our fans may may glean on? But from from your experience as their head coach, helping them and guiding them and leading them to winning national championships. Well, the three NCAA Division One championships that have won by this university, I'm very proud that they won. I would like to win thirty more in all our sports. I would like to see that happen. It would be good for me and good for everyone. Um, in 1989, it, there was a couple special things. One is nobody thought we could win. Even preseason, when the magazines came out and we were preseason number one, people still thought it was a fall, fallacy that we weren't going to win. And um, and we won. And we won strong, and we were very, very good at the end of playing some in those days, it wasn't seeded, so we had to work our way through the toughest teams all the way to the end. And what was nice is it was the first NCAA Division One championship in the school's history, and, and that can't be taken away. And I'm very proud that those young women and, and my name is connected to that. And it's important to note we've had two others prior to this as well. Yeah. And the and – the, uh, 89. 89, yeah, <laughs> 89, and this is the first one. Yes. yes. And then and what was great is first, and the other thing, it was uh, ethnically our team was diverse. It was uh, no team had ever won an NCAA Women's Volleyball Championship with one more than one woman of color on the team. And we won with either, with, depending on the time, five starters uh, who were women of color. And some, and, and if you count our setter, who I used to give her a hard time about it, is you count all six. And so I'm very proud to, you know, we, at, after that, a lot, the opportunity for black women, Hispanic women, Asian women grew in this country after that championship. And if we had anything to do with it, I really don't know, but I was very proud that we were the first team to have more, that was really ethnically diverse and and that was, uh, I thought, really special. It's incre- incredible as we talk about the diversity mm-hmm. of Long Beach itself as well and, and our institution. Yep. Now, now moving to 1993, mm-hmm. what are some of those memories you have of the 93 team? Well, uh, it was uh, it, uh, the, the funny memory is that it's not funny is that uh, one of our starters right before the Final Four sprained her ankle. And I remember uh, players staying up all night, uh, rub, staying up all night taking shifts running, rubbing the swelling out of her ankle for her to play. And the, the biggest memory I have was that um, 
you know, we're in a, a, an arena with 15,000 people and 14,500 or 950 were booing us <laughs> <laughs> and our 50 Long Beach delegation. Uh, I was, I felt like, uh, that was inspiration and it was, it was nice to win in front of that many people and, and, uh, to be able to do it again felt really good. As a former student athlete, I always found, uh, when you're on the road, Booze are just as good as, as getting cheered because you know you're doing something right. <laughs> it's better than an empty arena, right? That's right. <laughs> I've always felt it was a re- sign of respect, and it always was. Uh, it was always motivating. Now the team in 1998 went 36 and 0. Uh, it, in many cases, widely considered one of the best college volleyball teams in history. Talk talk to us about that team as well. Well, all the teams. 89 had Tara Cross, who was Player of the Year, and in 91, which, in which we lost, at Antoinette White, and she led the team with Danielle Scott. And in 93, at Danielle Scott. And, uh, you know, Tara Cross was the first four-time Olympian after this, and Danielle Scott from 93 was the first five-time Olympian. Mm-hmm. And then in 98, Misty came in and, and wasn't a setter and became a setter. And, you know, she became a four-time Olympian, a three-time gold medalist on the beach. But that team was uh, pretty close to being um, – to being a, a perfect team, um, uh, they they won almost every set. I, I'll give you a funny story. You want a funny story? After, afterward, I was uh, here at campus and up up on upper campus, and uh, somebody brought in John Wooden, and we sat to have lunch together. And he was with me. We were alone, and he looked at me and he said, uh, "How many sets did you lose?" And I said, "We lost seven sets for the year." And he looked at me and said, "What happened?" <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was going to tell me what a great job I did and you know we're undefeated and we're the first undefeated team in NCAA history I was sitting there kind of gloating and he looked at me and he, with a very serious face and you know what happened what's wrong with you <laughs> the pursuit of perfection right <laughs> yeah I, I, said, I had no answer for him I know that but the 1998 team was uh it was it was there was no weaknesses and uh and they, you know, our offense, our defense, our, our transition, everything we did was better than anybody else's. And I, and some people do believe it's the best team ever. And it, and then again, they can't take that away from us. We were the first undefeated team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, now you had indicated some names of tremendous Olympians that have come mm-hmm. through our program. You've mm-hmm. developed Olympians, as you mentioned. You work with the United States volleyball team as mm-hmm. well. What, in in your estimation, is the difference between? a student athlete who becomes an Olympian and a great student athlete? I, I think that uh, a lot of young people in any sport have, uh, have uh, goals that they um, have not developed the process for those goals. And I think that very often um, they either don't have a process or they're distracted from the process by outside things. Um, they want to be good. Play, everybody wants to be good at whatever you do. If you play the piano, you want to be good. The, real, the reality is to be better than anybody else is, is, is a difficult process. And I, and I think that the Olympians had goals and we didn't uh, – national championship goals or Olympic goals. You just uh, – you know your goal and then you just go to work. And, and you have to embrace uh, every one of them in some way. Either it was um, – an incredibly enjoyable process or it was a process that you needed to do so you just did it anyway 
And some, there was a variance in that, but the process was not only accepted, it was embraced, whether you had to do it or you look forward to doing it in, in either one of those. But the process was embraced and you just put your head down kind of and, and went and you didn't put the cart before the horse and you couldn't sprint before you could run. You know, you, it was, uh, so those, the great players always have that, that they, they look in some way look forward to the process. It helps them become good, and there's nothing that distracts them from that. Now, you've coached many other teams besides the Olympian team, mm-hmm. right? And, right, and national championship teams. Right. From from the other teams, maybe they came close, maybe didn't, but mm-hmm. what are some notable moments during your coaching career um, from other teams that you've coached besides these teams? Well, the hardest one, and coaches will say that, you remember losses more than you remember wins sometimes. And we were in the 1991 championship and we had won the first two games and we were to win about 3-0. And it was on CBS in those days. And uh, and, uh, and the refs made a really bad call and it wasn't even the call that the, certain, the down official was responsible for. And it was a big ruckus and we thought we had won and we were jumping around like crazy. And... Um, uh, the call uh, was reversed, and CBS showed it 17 times, and the call was wrong. I still remember <laughs> they kept replaying it because it was such a long delay, and we went on to lose. Uh, and that one you never get over. You you look in those days. Uh, I actually believe this to be true, that in those days you left the losing team uh, for the award ceremony afterward on the court. And they showed, CBS was showing some of our players. And I've never seen any team look like this in any sport because they thought they had won and then they, they it, you know, they're jumping up and right. down like they're champions and then they lose. I've never seen a team look like that. And then the following year in all sports that have a, a, a presentation at the end of the championship, the losing team uh, was no longer uh, on the court. They took them and gave them their awards in the locker room. And I think that it was a learning experience, but incredibly difficult. I, I can still picture the look on the faces of those players. Um, it was at UCLA, and the good news was 10,000 people from Long Beach showed up, and um, we had the biggest big crowd. And um, but it was it was really really hard. We played UCLA that game, but it was really hard to go through that. That was one, and then the next one that was really hard was. 2001 and I think maybe 2001 could have been the best team to ever play um, they were undefeated we had beaten Stanford Arizona and Nebraska uh, and they were all the teams at the final four mm. and uh, and we ended up uh, beating Arizona in the semifinals and then we played Stanford who we beat earlier in the season and I learned quite a bit going through the process with the uh, with the um, uh, press conferences and pre- pre- the press kept saying over and over again, can anybody ever beat this team? And I kept looking at the players thinking, this is not good. Mm-hmm. And they talked about nobody could ever beat this team. And then we lost to Stanford in the finals. And I knew that these are college kids and, and I knew that the, it wasn't pressurized. I think they just lost uh, focus. They planned on winning and they just, we didn't perform as well as we had all year. Um, the side note is one of the reporters said to me, I never took a timeout all year in that, that season. <laughs> and, uh, and they were that good. They could figure themselves out of a hole. And I thought um, maybe that it certainly was the most physical team 
that ever played. Um, but some, you know, winning is a whole different thing. Sure. Now, now in that in that mindset, um, every successful coach and student athlete has faced adversity at some point in their career. Right. And what what have been the lessons you've learned during the course of your career? How to thrive despite the fact of adversity and through adversity? Well, I've never shared this with anybody except an assistant coach, but I almost left coaching because of injuries. I, I, I just don't, I can't deal with them. I see a young woman work so hard and perform so to develop certain skills and abilities and the physical and emotional part of the game and, and prepare themselves, get prepared, and then because of injury not be able to perform and that I just can't. And and so um, we have lost um, matches in law and had not great seasons, but it's always because of some injury. It's always because of some players not being able to do what they've worked so hard to do. And it's really hard for me to watch. But at the same time, I, I won't let a player even continue their career if I think their health is jeopardized. Mm-hmm. So that sometimes leads to uh, not being on the court as successful, um, but I won't let a player play unless, you know, I won't let them keep their, um, continue their career if it's, it's jeopardizing their, their health. Sure. So that's been the hardest part for me. And that's that I, other things growing up, making mistakes by myself or by a young woman doesn't matter to me. My mistakes bother me. I don't, <laughs> I don't mind the mistakes of young people. Um, you know, I tell the players when they do something wrong, I, I always tell them, you know, it's amazing that you're not perfect like I was when I was young, you know. <laughs> and uh, so mistakes happen. And we all grew up the same way. And, and the stresses of life are real. And watching a young woman grow up uh, from 18 to 22 is kind of the, it's great educational opportunity for me. And it's a it's perfect job in that sense as an educator. Um, but I, um, I, the, the adversity of it and the, the hard times are only because of injury. The rest mm-hmm. we can get through. So how, how do you help a team say that an injury happens and, and even happened this past season as well? How, how do you help the remainder of the team when there's an injury that happens? It's there, it's present, but mm-hmm. present. How do, you, how do you get the team through that? How do you fight through well, that? Well, the hard part is that a practice, to improve, you have to have a, a lot, great deal of quality touches. And when you have players down, the other players are taking too many touches. Uh, you've got to develop a rhythm and you've got to develop a, a execution. And you can't develop that execution without everybody there. Mm-hmm. And so people are overdoing because they're taking too many, but you need to do it to get to a, a certain level. So it, it's, uh, it, um, it builds on itself and it becomes more negative. Now, as far as, the, you know, we don't, uh, talk about people out. We just go on and and uh, practice the same way, and mm-hmm. and so everybody knows that you're you know now you're playing, and you don't have to talk about it. Everybody knows. Absolutely, and that, you <laughs> talk about that process. It, it's a process that you st- you stick with. It's been a championship formula. Um, with that, the support to have a championship around the program. Um, what are some things uh, that you'd like to say to our fans? And, and in closing, what would you like to say to our fans uh, regarding your program, regarding uh, the championship support that they've given and, and maybe can in the future? Well, I was really proud of in the years in the past. We have to have a good enough team 
uh, to get people out. I was very proud that uh, we were the number one team in attendance in the West for many years. Um, you know, we got as high as 3,500 people a, a match, and I was really happy about that. And and because it's a real salute to the to the players to have people come. But but more than that, as I think I said it before, I, I think that I don't care what program people support. I think this is one program. I think this is a, it's one university, and I think that we all um, I I think. Every student on campus is just as important as everyone else. I think every athlete is just as important as everyone else. I think every department is just as important. You know, what the academics does and engineering and business and what the drama department does and the music department does is equally important in in benefiting young people. And uh, I think that uh, that needs to be the feeling. We are one university in a great community, and anything we can do to support each other is is crucial for all of our success. Brian, I think I can say this. We could literally sit here for <laughs> days and days and glean on your expertise, and, and, and we're so blessed to have you here at Long Beach State. Um, Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Well, this is just a small slice of, of the amount of knowledge you can impart on us. But thank you for being here. Uh, Rob, it's really nice of you to ask me. Go Beach. Go Beach. The Beach All Access Podcast is a presentation of the Long Beach State Radio Network on K Beach. Go Beach.